That was everything. Right, should we go to Acts uh, 11? That's where we're going to be this morning. We're in the middle of our series, uh, Discover Life. Uh, we're going to be changing our name to Life Church Beckles, and so we're discovering what Life Church Beckles is about and what Jesus' aim for us is as a church. This is the kind of last uh, preach in looking at our aim together as a church, and then we're going to be talking a little bit more about what commitment to Jesus' mission here at um, Life Church Beckles looks like. And so that's what we're looking at in a moment. Uh, this is the aim that we're working our way through, to make disciples of Jesus who live as ch- uh, life together as church family in friendship, who learn to live like Jesus and to be like Jesus, and those who learn, uh, who love God with worship and service. And today we're looking at specifically um, loving Beckles and beyond with words, works, and wonders. I'm not sure this is working. Hmm. Should I be pointing it this way or that way? That way. Great. Hmm. We'll get that working in a second. Um, so today we're looking at what it means to love Beckles and beyond with words, works of wonders. At the end of the Gospels, Jesus says, doesn't he, go and make disciples of all nations. And then at the beginning of the book of Acts, which we're in today, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so our mission as Jesus' people, cheers, pal. Uh, our mission as Jesus' people is to love our neighbour here in Beckles. And that's why we're talking so much about the hive, the building project, because we want to love our town. We want to love Beckles. That's why we talk about the Christmas light switch on, because we want to engage with our community and share some love and Christmas cheer with them. That's why we've got a care home outreach into care homes in the local area. We're on mission, loving our neighbour here in Beckles, but also beyond as well, that we want to love our neighbour beyond Beckles. That's why uh, recently Rod's been out to Lithuania to um, strengthen a church there. Uh, It's why he, at the moment, he's in Romania. It's why we're involved in Morning Star in Nakuru. It's why we had a tear fund night on Friday. How many of us were at the tear fund night on Friday? It was a good time, was it? Yeah, good. Thanks to... Amanda and others for putting that on for the evening. Um, we'll let you know how much we raise on the evening. But we, we do these things because we're on mission to love our neighbour in Beckles and beyond. And as a church, we're part of a wider family of churches called Relational Mission. We're joined with others in a common vision to be globally fruitful, to cross uh, boundaries, to reach the nations, make disciples and plant locally-led churches. So, for example, we've got... Um, we're, we're hoping that in God we would plant uh, 100 churches in the UK by the year 2040, that we would plant 20 churches in each of the 20 mainland Europe nations by 2050, um, and that we would plant five multiplying churches in every continent of the world by 2030. Uh, so why, why do we do this? Why make disciples of Jesus uh, why share our faith? Why do we want to become Christians? Maybe you, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian here today and you're wondering, why is it? Christians are so intent on sharing their faith with other people. What's that about? Um, Augustine, who was a 4th century writer, says this, that you, God, have made us 
for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. Like that. You have made yourself, uh, made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. And uh, one uh, writer, J.B. Phillips, who wrote uh, a translation of the Bible, he says, there's a God-shaped vacuum in every one of us that only God can fill. Our hearts are, are restless until they find their rest in knowing the Lord Jesus. They, he's come and filled a vacuum in our life that only he could. Knowing him, the Lord Jesus, is the greatest treasure in our life, isn't it? Just knowing him and enjoying him is our greatest treasure. That's what Jane prophesied this morning, wasn't it? We have the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. He's our treasure and our prize, our portion um, in life. And we want others to know and experience the same. If there is a God of love who has loved us so much that he died on the cross in our place, rose again from the dead, is seated in the heavenly places and wants to bring us back home to be with him, no guilt, no shame, forgiveness of sins, cleansed conscience, resurrection of the body, life everlasting, joy, hope, peace, forevermore. It would be nothing other than unloving and selfish not to share that with other people, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? That would be unloving and selfish to keep that news to ourselves. So that's why um, this is part of our vision. And this is an exciting passage that we're in today, Acts 11, as we see the mission to love our neighbor be globally fruitful. It crosses the Jew and Gentile divide to reach a different nation. And as a result, a locally led church is planted in Antioch. And it's also exciting because it's one of the first times that a gospel goes to the nations, to the Gentiles, um, and breaks um, that divide. It's the beginning of the gospel reaching the ends of the earth in the story of Acts. Um, And eventually, the gospel arrives even here, in Beckles. So this passage is exciting because if this hadn't happened, we would not be here, sat here right now. Um, So it's a significant passage for that reason too. Should we read together? I'm going to read in uh, Acts 11, verse 19 to 26, and then 13, uh, 1 to 5. So, it says this. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution, there's been a persecution um, in Jerusalem, and the Jerusalem Christians, where the church really has been based up until this point, are being spread out um, the the near area. Um, Because of the persecution that arose over Stephen... Uh, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came... He saw, and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, who later becomes Paul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, And for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Then we're just going to skip 
to the next part of the story in Antioch, which is at the start of chapter 13, where it says this. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. This is their eldership team, essentially. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy, Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And so, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. Often you um, have organizations and companies or political parties with slogans, don't you? They kind of summarize what they're about and galvanize people to what they're about. We've had that this week, haven't we, with the Autumn Statement. We had this slogan, stability, growth, and public services. That was a slogan this week, wasn't it, to try and summarize what the new government uh, and new cabinet are trying to achieve in uh, the Autumn Statement. If you go to a supermarket, you'll know that every little helps. Or if you wear a certain type of clothing, that you should just do it. Or if, I, you, know, if you go to a certain fast food restaurant, you might be loving it. We have all, you know, people have slogans, organizations, political parties have slogans to summarize what they're about. And uh, even what we're talking about throughout this series is a bit of a slogan for what Jesus has for us as a church, that we're to make disciples of Jesus who live, learn, and love. It's a type of slogan. You might have seen this, people with t-shirts with this slogan for life on. Eat, sleep, rave, repeat. I know you're not wearing it this morning, I'm sure it's at home, but that's a slogan for some people's lives, isn't it? Eat, sleep, rave, repeat. And I think in this pa- these passages that we see here, a slogan for the early church and the mission that they had. And that Slogan being, go, witness, plant, repeat. Go, witness, plant, repeat. So the first, go. When Jesus says at the end of Matthew, go and make disciples of all nations, he's carrying on what God has already said since the beginning of the scripture. He tells Adam and Eve, doesn't he, go forth and multiply to fill the earth with image bearers of God. He says to Abram, go from your country to the land I will show you, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. He says to Joseph that he sends him out to Egypt to save lives from famine. Israel is sent out of slavery to the promised land from Egypt. Judah is sent into exile in Babylon to be a blessing and then sent out of exile back to the land. Jonah is sent to Nineveh. And then we've got in Isaiah uh, 49.6 this kind of summary where God says it's too small a thing for you to just be about um, God's people, the Jews. He says this, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. I'll make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So God's people are always, have been, and always will be a missionary people. 
That means that it's no surprise to us that when Jesus comes on the scene in the Gospels, Jesus comes on mission himself. He says, as the Father has sent me, Jesus is on a mission to come and save us from our sins, isn't he? And also, at the end of his life, when he gathers his disciples, his words to them, his last words to them, are to go. Because this is who God is, and it's what he's about. And the whole of Acts is structured, this book that we're in this morning, is structured around the mission that Jesus has given to his disciples. It's structured around the mission to Jerusalem to start with, and then to Judea, and then to Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And as you read Acts, you're seeing Acts 1, verse 8, when the Holy Spirit comes on you in power, you'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. We're seeing that fulfilled throughout the book of Acts as the church accomplishes what Jesus has sent it out to do. And so in verse 19, because of persecution, God's people are being scattered from Jerusalem, but the hand of the Lord is on them. It looks like they're just, to the normal person, they're just refugees. They can't live in the place where they are because they're being killed, persecuted, and so on, so they're scattered. But in the language of Scripture, the hand of the Lord is on them as they go because the Lord is sending them out because the gospel's too small for just Jerusalem. It needs to go further. And so they've been scattered around. The hand of the Lord is on them, and as they go, they are sent, and they start speaking about Jesus. They witness, and the hand of the Lord is on them. And then the Jerusalem church hear what's going on, that some far off are hearing the gospel and starting to follow Jesus. And in verse 22, what do they do when they hear that this is going on? They send Barnabas. The amount of sending that goes on in the church it's, and it's in all directions it's not from I mean in, in the early part of the story of Acts it's from a base in Jerusalem but actually if you look in Acts just people are being sent everywhere all the time because it's the nature of God and it's the nature of his people and after Barnabas and Saul established a church in Antioch what does it say in verse 3 again they are sent off again and they go because this is what God is like and it's what he does and it's what we alike as his people, and it's what we do. So over millennia, the mission of God has never changed. It's always been the same, because God hasn't changed. The only thing that's changed really is for us, that we've become part of God's people when Jesus interrupted our lives and made him one of his own, and drew, him in, drew us into his family. We became part of the family business, And Jesus' purpose in the whole of creation has become our purpose for ourselves too. We've been joined to his purposes. And what Jesus is about is what we've become about. Because his purpose has become our purpose in our lives. It's what our life is to be about. It's what he's made us for. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, in John 20, 21, so I'm sending you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And so, like Adam and Eve, we're to go and fill the earth with image bearers of God. Like Abraham, we are sent out to be a blessing to the families of the earth. Like Israel, we are sent out of slavery to bring freedom to others. Like Israel, we're sent, uh, like Joseph, we're sent out to save lives. Like Jonah, we're sent out to preach the gospel of forgiveness. 
of repentance and forgiveness. So how do we make this, Jesus' purpose for our lives, the central purpose of our life? And I think the key is in verse 2 of chapter 13 where it says this, The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me. Set apart for me. Holy Spirit says, set apart for me, i.e. Saul and Barnabas, they're for me. They're for my purposes. They belong to me. And so set them apart for what I have planned for them. So the key to living out God's purpose for our life is whose we are, not where we are. What matters most is who you belong to, not where you are placed. So Rod and Heather recently... We're out in Lithuania. Rod's currently on mission in Romania uh, this week. And uh, for the rest of us, it might not have been so glamorous. Although if you went to Basna or Plungay, you might not think of it particularly glamorous, I don't think. Um, but well, I wonder where you've been this week on mission. In your school, in your, amongst your family, in your workplace, with friends, family... Wherever you go, you have been sent there. You have been sent there. And you've been set apart for the Lord Jesus by the Holy Spirit to accomplish his plan to make disciples of all nations. The Holy Spirit says over you, set apart this one for me. When you became a Christian, that's what happened. You were set apart for Jesus' plans and purposes. So the first thing is go. The second thing is to witness I heard the story of a man, um, this isn't me, although it may well have happened during my life, um, was awoken at night by his crying baby, and um, his wife um, just made the point that it was his turn to get out of bed uh, this night. And uh, so the man started praying and asking the Lord to help his baby to get to sleep, out loud, Lord, help our baby to get to sleep. Nothing happened. Lord! Please help our baby to get to sleep. And then after a while of repeatedly praying this out loud in great faith, his wife elbowed him and said, I think the Lord wants you to get out of bed and help our baby go to sleep. And sometimes we can be a little bit like that with God, can't we? We want God to like bypass us and just get the job done himself, which sometimes he does, don't we? We hear incredible stories of the Lord interrupting people's lives in visions and dreams in miraculous ways. We've had no part in at all. Um, But he's elbowing us this morning and telling us that he wants you and I to do it. The mission to love our neighbor is done by ordinary everyday Christians witnessing and telling people what they know and have experienced of Jesus. You see it in verse 19, they go and speak the word. In verse 20, they preach the Lord Jesus. In verse 21, the hand of the Lord was upon them as they did it. The mission isn't just um, God getting on with it, although he often does. It's us witnessing what we know of to, about the Lord Jesus and his hand being on us. As we do it. And the result in verse 21 is a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Verse 24, a great many people were added to the Lord. I don't know if you read this or as we talk about this, whether you discount yourself from doing this effectively. 
when, I, when we talk about witness, and when I hear Christians talking about witness, there is so often we discount ourselves from doing what ordinary everyday Christians were doing from Acts onwards. Maybe you think, I don't have all the answers. Maybe you think, I'm just not very good at telling other people about my faith. I, I always seem to put my foot in it. Nobody ever seems interested in what I've got to say about Jesus. I'm worried how my friends are going to respond. I'm not as good as so-and-so at doing this. But if you, if you don't have all the answers, that's okay. Jesus didn't say, get all the answers and then go and make disciples of all nations. He didn't say that. He just said, go and make disciples with whatever you know of me. Go and make disciples of all nations. I'm not very good at telling other people about my faith. Join the club. And there are very few people who are brilliant at that. There are some, and we can learn lots from them. But for the majority of us, we're bumbling along the way, making mistakes all the times in conversations, and the Lord still uses it. I'm sure we've heard many stories of where somebody kind of bumbled their way through a conversation. The person seemed to become a Christian. They hadn't any understanding of why, because they made such a hash of it. I always seem to put my foot in it. Well, you, you will do. But if you, if you never say anything, you know... Nobody ever seems interested in what I've got to say about Jesus. Oh, that's the point. That's why we're telling them. Because <laughs> otherwise they're not going to hear it. Because it's not like most people are going out and asking, this Jesus bloke, I've been hearing a bit about him in RE at school. I hadn't thought about it for years. And I just you're a Christian, aren't you? Tell me about it. That rarely happens, doesn't it? That's why we're proactive in telling people about it. I'm worried how my friends are going to respond. Yeah, that's part of Jesus saying, follow me. Take, pick up your cross. Come with me. Part of the of the cross-shaped life, is knowing that at times you're going to get rejected, laughed at, mocked, ridiculed um, for it. I'm not as good as so-and-so. Comparison is the death of anything faith-filled. You compare yourself to somebody, you're just putting to death anything that requires any kind of faith. Because in the end, if you end up being good at it, you only get proud. And if you're rubbish at it, you just feel despairing. I wonder if many of us here are discounting ourselves from this for those kind of reasons. But what's great about this passage, what I love about it, is the anonymity of the people who are doing it. So it says in verse 19, this is how these these are some of the first Christians to take the gospel to the Gentiles, to break the Jew Gentile divide, and for the gospel to go to the nations. And this is how the Bible describes them as uh, those who were scattered. Just those who were scattered. No names. No, these, are, these are huge figures in the church, no doubt. They're the ones who spread the gospel to the, those who were scattered. That's how it describes them. And then verse 20, some of them, some men of Cyprus and Cyrene, basically some guys from Cyprus and Cyrene. That's how the Bible describes these people, a great missionary effort. Just some guys from Cyprus and Cyrene. Doesn't even bother naming them. I bet it's possible Luke didn't even know who they were. And their names were never shared. Just some guys from Cyprus and Cyrene. We don't know their names. They're not pastors. They're not especially sent missionaries. They're not gifted professional communicators. They're not Christian superstars. They're just some guys from Cyprus and Cyrene. Told me about Jesus. And I started following him. And I bet that's the story for many of us. Some mum, some Sunday school teacher, some friend, some neighbour told me about Jesus I became a Christian. And other people are going to to stand here 
be baptised. And their story is going to go, some person from, from here at New Life, or at Life Church, told me about X, and I became a Christian at some point. This great breakthrough in the gospel is not achieved by leaders strategizing in a room. It's just ordinary Christian people going about their ordinary lives. And they spoke about Jesus so much that in Antioch, the first place where they get called Christians, they get named after Christ because they talk about him so much. And this is how the vast majority of Christian missionary work has been done throughout history, witnessing just ordinary people witnessing primarily with their words and then backed up with works, kind acts of love and mercy and justice towards people and three wonders, demonstrations of the power of God in people's life and that Jesus is making all things new as people are healed um, from sickness. Jesus um, says, doesn't he, in the Gospels, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I wonder what you imagine when he says that because I tended to think of my neighbour, Aaron, who's a fisherman. He's not a fisherman, he's a carpenter. In fact, he's probably the person who's most like Jesus. He's a carpenter and he likes fishing. Um, and uh, Aaron loves to go night fishing. And Aaron's ideal of kind of, you know, is it's him alone. Peace and quiet. He's got two young kids. So night fishing, just him on a chair with a rod in the water that's never going to catch anything. I, I, you know, that's, that's his report anyway. Um, and so Aaron, you imagine fishermen as somebody being like that, aren't they? A solo activity. But the fishing in Jesus' day was a team sport. It was a bunch of them in the boat hauling huge nets of fish out of uh, the Sea of Galilee. And uh, we need to remember that, that um, witnessing is a team sport. It's not a solo activity. And there are different ways of witnessing that work for each of us. For some of us, it's preaching on a Sunday. Not everybody's thing. (laughs) For some of us, it might be sharing stories of what God has done in your life. It might be asking people questions. It might be talking about Jesus while you're eating together with others. It might be social media posts or giving a book to someone. It might be inviting somebody to an event like a Christmas celebration or an Alpha course. So I wonder what works for you and why when it comes to witnessing. And maybe at some point in house groups in the coming weeks, you'll get a chance to talk about what kind of works for you when it comes to witnessing. What have you seen some success with? And perhaps if you feel like you're seeing no success at all and you're not barely giving it a try, then maybe hear about some of the other ways that people witness and say, I'm going to give that a go. I'm just going to try and do what that person does and see if that fits me well. One thing we do as a house group is we quite often share um, how it's going with telling our neighbours and friends, what we call people of peace, people who seem open to the gospel, are asking us questions, seem interested. We're not like shoving it down people's throats when they haven't got an interest at all in hearing it, but how things are going with our people of peace who seem open to us and the gospel. And then we encourage one another, we spur one another on, we think about what the next step is, and we pray for each other as we do it. And we pray that they would come to know Jesus just as we have. So go witness and plant is the next one verse 22 says that they sent Barnabas to Antioch 
And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people uh, were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. When ordinary, everyday Christians speak about Jesus, people do believe and they turn to the Lord and are added to the Lord and a community of Christians forms and that's what happened in Antioch. A community of Christians is formed by the grace of God and there's a time to plant, to establish, to put roots down, to enable strength and growth and health and maturity and that's why Barnabas is sent to the church in Antioch. He's sent to go and strengthen it his, Barnabas's real name is actually Joseph, but the, uh, the, his friends called him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He went to encourage these new Christians into maturity to teach them and disciple this new community of disciples. And he saw the grace of God, which made him glad. I wonder what you think when it says that. What did Barnabas actually see? Perhaps he saw people deciding to follow Jesus, saw lives being turned around. He saw relationships with one another across ethnic divides that previously would have segregated people. People are first called Christians here because they centred their life upon Jesus Christ. Uh, N.T. Wright, one writer says this, A new kind of family had come into existence. Its focus of identity was Jesus. Its manner of life was shaped by Jesus Its characteristic mark was believing allegiance or loyalty to Jesus. And Barnabas saw it and it put a smile on his face. In verse 1 it says, What was planted then grew and developed into a diverse community. Um, If you look at the eldership team that's in Antioch, by the time we get to chapter 13, so we've skipped from 11 to 13, And this is the eldership team there. Barnabas, who's a Jewish Cypriot. Simeon, which is a Jewish name, who's called Niger, which means black, so he's likely a black man. Lucius of Cyrene, who's from North Africa. Manian, who is uh, from Jewish high high society, part of Herod's court. And Saul, a well-educated Jew from a a metropolitan um, place called Tarsus. Because where the church is centred upon Jesus, there's diversity. When the church is centred upon Jesus, there's room for diversity. Because the Lord Jesus brings together a people who are different from one another, but united in him and focused on him. And as we plant and establish and strengthen ourselves here in this church... um, we're going to be a diverse representative community of our, uh, sorry, a diverse people representative of our community, loving one another beyond racial, cultural, um, uh, class, gender um, divides. I'm really um, enjoying this, uh, and our house groups will be places, won't they, where you engage with people who are different to you. And that's part of the challenge of house group, isn't it? I'm really enjoying this book at the minute. Highly recommend it. It's called Invisible Divides, written by Natalie Williams and Paul Brown. This is a, an excellent book. Um, 
One of the invisible divides in church life is that of class. Those who might identify ourselves and come from a working class background and those of us who perhaps come from a more middle class background. And uh, you don't have to be in church very long to know that the church is generally dominated by middle classes at the minute. And there is an invisible divide in some of our attitudes and practices in terms of how we experience church life. Perhaps if you're working class, when you read this book, you'll go, yeah, that's happened to me. (laughs) I've seen that happen. I feel that way in church life. It's not unusual for working class people to say that they don't feel at home in church life. Um, One of the things that's been helpful for me is realizing that uh, you, you, you know, for some of us will be going, I'm not even sure whether I'm working class or middle class. And some of this, reading this, might help you realize I've got a bit of a mixture of the two going on. Or, you know, it'll help. It will open your eyes to the ways that each of us experiences uh, church life. It's a really fantastic book and well worth it. It's a dead easy read, lots of stories. It's good theology in there in terms of what focusing and being centered upon Jesus looks like, whilst also opening eyes to differences and how we can um, live well together in church life um, with them there. So get that book. It's great. Fourth thing, go witness, plant, repeat. Uh, Jerusalem's disciples are scattered. They're sent, they go, they witness, speak, preach, proclaim, and a community is formed, planted, gathered, and then they do it all again, and they hit the repeat button. Verse 3 in chapter 13. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia from there to Cyprus, arrived at Salamis and proclaimed the word of God. It's a, The remainder of the story of Acts is the people of God constantly hitting repeat on the go witness plant. As they're just constantly doing it. If you read through the story of Acts, that's what they're doing all the time. Go, witness, plant, repeat. Go, witness, plant, repeat. It's continuing on the mission of God. They, they, there was, I think there still is, a church planting network called Acts 29. Because there's only 28 chapters in Acts. I thought that was a cool name. When I first heard it, I was like, that was a great name. It's Acts 29, because they're continuing on the mission of God as sin in the book of Acts, and that's what we're about, isn't it? We're continuing on the mission that Jesus has given us. It's the DNA of the church, the repeated pattern of church mission. And we've all got a part to play in this. When we're here on Wednesday evening, we were praying for the church in Lithuania, praying for the church in Romania. We give into it. We give into our shared mission with others to plant churches in the nations. And for some of us, it literally involves going. You might actually get up and move from the place that you are and go to somewhere else for the purpose of witnessing, planting, and then going again. And this is the purpose of us going into our workplaces, our families, our schools, is to witness about Jesus, to plant and strengthen the church here, and then for us to be able to hit repeat. Because um, when we love our town, we're not just loving our town and doing mission here for the sake of just Beckles. We're doing it for the sake of other places. We talk a few times about how we would love to see Word and Spirit churches planted from here all the way down to Ipswich in places that, like Bungie. Lots of you come from Bungie all the way to Beckles. I know it's not really that far, but <laughs> it would be great, wouldn't it, if there were a church, a Word and Spirit church in Bungie, which means you could walk out your door 
down to the community centre and gather as a church there on mission. It would be great if there were a church in Halesworth that some of you didn't always have to travel all the way up here. And Southwold and Leyston and Saxmundham and Framlingham and Rendlesham and Alborough. There are tons of places between here in the north of Suffolk and the south of Suffolk where there are some fairly strong Word and Spirit churches and there is a vast expanse in the middle where there's not that much going on. There are some churches. There isn't that much going on. And when we're getting involved in the hive and trying to resource our mission here in Beckles, if you're from one of those places, you've got a heart for one of those places, you can serve and invest in that wholeheartedly, knowing that when we establish ourselves and are well-planted and strengthened and healthy here, that gives us the ability to go to places like Bungie and so on and plant churches to go and witness and plant and repeat. Yeah? And not just here in our local area, but in the nations as well. That we would be involved in mission to the nations, because that's what Jesus has called us to. So when we're praying and when we're giving into it, that's our part to play, folks. Even if you're not going to be going to a mainland Europe church, when we pray for the gospel to be established there, we're playing our part in it. Uh, and just to finish, this is, um, I think, at the foundation of this whole concept is this. It's in verse 2, that worship is the fuel of our mission to love Beckles and beyond. Have a look at verse 2. What is it, what are they doing when they decide to send out Saul and Barnabas? It says this, while they were worshipping the Lord, while they were worshipping the Lord, Then they sent them off. Oswald Chambers writes this. The bedrock of Christianity is personal, passionate devotion to Jesus. These guys were devoted at Antioch to Jesus. They were worshipping the Lord. And out of that, out of their worship, came mission. Um, Piper says this. John Piper writes, Worship is the fuel of mission. Passion for God in worship precedes the offer of God in preaching because you can't commend what you don't cherish. That's why when we gather together, whether we're at a prayer meeting, we're here on Sundays or in house groups, we focus on worshipping God together because we need reminding, don't we, of all that we have in God, in, in Jesus Christ, that we've got the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, forgiveness of sins, a cleansed conscience, adoption into God's family, the gift of the Spirit, knowing Jesus personally and intimately. And so in your devotional time, I hope you spend some time worshipping the Lord. Because some of the other things we do are meant to lead us to that intimacy with God, relationship with Jesus, enjoying him and knowing him for ourselves. That's what the reading of scripture is meant to do. That's what listening to him is meant to do in prayer, is to lift our hearts to him, to worship him. That's why when Jesus teaches us to pray, he says, start by saying this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's why we do it every time we gather. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You're worthy of our worship. So it's the fuel of our mission. And also, secondly, um, it's the goal of our mission. A mission is just a means to an end, and the end is worship of Jesus. Mission will end eventually, but worship of the Lord won't. Piper says this, the goal of our mission is to bring the nations into the white-hot enjoyment 
of God's glory. The goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples in the greatness of God. I love that. Well, the Westminster Catechism puts it this way. What is the chief end of man? What is the purpose of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. This is our purpose as Christians. This is our purpose as the people of God. This is the purpose of Life Church Beckles, is to love Beckles and beyond with words, works, and wonders, so that people will know the Lord Jesus, glorify him, and enjoy him forever. So have you made this the central purpose of your life? You can live for all sorts of things as a Christian. This is the thing that Jesus wants you to live for. Or have you just tacked on Jesus to the purpose of your life that already existed and gone, I like living for these things and I'll have Jesus and I'll tack him on here. Jesus wants to, when he interrupts our just revolutionise it. Our whole purpose for living is renewed.